when, after I was hearing, you know, the past few Sunday sermons, every Sunday, you know, with Lester and then with Dave sharing on Worship Sunday, I realized that they had stolen my message. You know, <laughs> what am I gonna preach? But you know, I, I, I reasoned that it's because God is doing something. That God is, is, is reminding us. He wants to call us back to Him in a very intimate way. And you know, today, I wanna talk about, it's almost like I feel like I'm another hammer on the nail that's calling His church back, calling us back to Him. And I believe it's because that it's very easy to make Christianity about a lot of other stuff. When it's really simple, it's simply about Him. Simply about, simply about knowing Him and being known by Him. And that's what we see in the passage today. So in Galatians chapter 4, verse 8 to 20, it's a very interesting passage because in the previous chapters that we've read, it can feel like Paul is a very angry preacher or very upset theologian, right? But here, we see another side of him. He's not an upset theologian here. He is more like a, a disheartened, a, a disappointed father. He is a father that is heartbroken for his spiritual children. And so if you can, turn with me to Galatians chapter 4, verse 8 to 20. You know, if, when, when we read this, and as we spend this time together, this isn't going to be so much a teaching sermon where I fully dig into the passage and you know, explain it all to you because honestly, there's not much to explain. Uh, when you read the passage, when we read the passage together, you'll see what I mean. That this is fairly straightforward. Not much to explain, it's, you can understand it pretty easily. Um, but if we were to really do this passage justice and receive it the way that it was meant to be received, Imagine that you were the Galatian church. How would they have received it? How would they have treated this passage? Well, they would not have listened to it and gone, well, there's something I need to learn here. They would have listened to it and gone, oh, there's something I need to receive. There's something that needs to be impressed upon me. There's something that the Apostle Paul and God through the Apostle Paul is pleading us to see and to experience for ourselves. And that's something, this is what I want us to, this is the kind of posture and attitude that I want us to have as we read this passage and spend this time together, okay? So let's go to Galatians chapter 4, verse 8 to 20. You have your Bibles or your phones with a, with a Bible app. Please turn there with me. Verse 8 of chapter 4. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify. If you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us 
so that you may have zeal for them. It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I am with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, there is, there is a word, there is a message that you want us to receive. And I pray, oh God, that this would not be a message that we simply acknowledge and understand, but be a message that we receive and that is imprinted on our hearts by your Holy Spirit, not by my eloquence, not by the structure of my sermon, but by your power, by your Holy Spirit. So Lord, may we, as your body, listen to our head this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So the, this, this passage is a very personal passage, isn't it? It's, 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 this kind of passage reminds us that we're reading a letter. Right? We're not reading a theological treatise, right? We're reading a very personal letter from the Apostle Paul to the first century Galatian church. And he's pleading with them. He's pleading with them to return back to God. There is a deep concern he has for them and there's a deep desire he has for them, right? There's a deep concern he has and there's a deep desire he has for them. And he, and he spends quite a bit of time, especially in verses 12 to about 18, um, reminiscing with them, right? He reminisces with them about how they met. Um, very personal. And so I just want to briefly explain, you know, so what is going on here? He references a time when, he, when they first met and where he was ill. He was gravely ill. That's how they met. Now, many people have various ideas, various theories about what he's referring to here. Uh, two of the most popular ones are either he had malaria, so he had contracted malaria in the swampy regions of Pamphylia, and then because he contracted malaria, a serious illness, he took a detour and went up to the more hilly regions of Galatia, Sidian Antioch. And that's where he recuperated and recovered. And that's how he met the Galatians. And that's where he planned the Galatian church. Okay, so that's one theory, malaria. Another theory was, is that he contracted some eye disease, a serious eye disease. And that's why he, he says, um, if you could, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Right. Those are two big theories there of what he's referring to there, that I was a big burden to you, but you, did, you, you treated me well. So he came to the Galatian church gravely ill. Whatever the illness was, he was very ill towards them when he came to them. Now, what's very impressive, side note, is that for any other preacher, I dare say, right, or if, if I was there, if I had malaria, the last thing I'm thinking about is preaching the gospel, all right? I'm thinking about recovering. Okay, I'm thinking about, hey, don't disturb me. I'm going to lie in my bed because I have a high fever, right? You understand. You're right, I'll get to you in a moment when I'm recovered. But not the Apostle Paul, right? He comes to Galatia severely ill, okay? And he is still concerned about their spiritual well-being, right? His heart of love for them is, you know what? Even though I'm about to die, I feel like death right now. I am going to preach to you life. And what's impressive, what's amazing, what's unbelievable is that they received the message. They, they believed it, even though the vessel was dying, right? He's got a high fever, he might be even delirious, but he's preaching the gospel. You know, they hear the name Jesus and they're like, this guy is legit. This message is legit. Like, this is a message of power. And it wasn't because he was impressive that they believed. 
the gospel. It was because of the power of the gospel that they received the gospel. And that's amazing. And what birthed within them was affection. It birthed within them this deep, intimate affection for Paul. They treated him like his, their spiritual father. And he, it was reciprocated. He treated them like his spiritual children. But now, and here's the part that he's really heartbroken by, their affection had evaporated. Now, if we were to really pay attention to what the Apostle Paul says here, the real issue and the real concern he has is not that they are treating him badly or that they maybe don't like him anymore. I mean, come on, this is the guy who came to one city, preached the gospel, and was dragged out of the city, stoned to death, and he responded by rummaging out the pile of stones, brushing himself off, and marching back into the city, okay? This guy clearly doesn't care what people think. But this is not the issue. He's not worried that you don't like me anymore. That's not his concern. His concern is deeper than that. His concern is that how they're treating him is simply a reflection of how they're treating God. That them distancing themselves from him is actually evidence of them distancing themselves from God. If you listen to what he's saying here, right, he says, when you, I first came to you, you received me like Jesus Christ himself, like an angel, right? He was a representative of Jesus Christ. He was a messenger from God. That's how they treated him. That's why they treated him so, so kindly, so graciously, so honorably. But now it had all changed. Does that mean you're treating God differently as well? His concern was that they were alienating, alienating themselves from God. That's why he mentions in verse 17, here in chapter 4, verse 17, he says, what they want is to alienate you from us. They, meaning the Judaizers, right? Alienate you from us. Who's us? The body of Christ. So that you may have zeal for them, the Judaizers, right? The people preaching this false gospel to the Galatians. Because they understand that if you separate, if you're separated from the body... I separate you from the head as well, right? If I distance myself from your body, I should distance myself from your head as well, right? Makes sense. And so Paul understands that they're trying to alienate you from us and thereby alienate you from Jesus Christ himself. And so the concern here was that there's a relational rift happening between the Galatian church and Jesus Christ, right? Their, their relationship was being threatened. And this is what the apostle was so deeply concerned about. His concern for them was that they were breaking up with God. They were breaking up with God. They were heading for a breakup. I mean, what do you call? What do we call in our society when a relationship is ending? When you're breaking, when, you, when you're severing that relationship, you call that a breakup, right? It's a breakup. They're breaking up with God or they're at least heading down that route. And what are they replacing God with? What are they rebounding to? Or they're rebounding to the elementary forces of the world. In another translation, the weak and miserable principles. Oh man, that sucks. I mean, when you, have you ever had a friend that rebounds to someone that's even worse than the partner they were with? Right? Why? Why would you go to this person? I mean, you had so good. And that's what Paul's going. You have Jesus. You have Jesus. And now you're going back to these elementary elementary forces, these weak and miserable principles of the world. In verse 10, he says, you're observing now special days, months, years in the belief that they're going to make you acceptable to God. You are Jesus. Why are you replacing him with this? Now, Lester described these elemental, elementary forces as superstitious Christianity. 
if you remember that. Superstitious Christianity. A kind of Christianity where you do good to get good. So easy for us to go to that kind of Christianity. And you know what? When we veer to this kind of faith, this way of doing Christianity, it's hardly any different from the, the way the rest of the world um, tries to get back to God. Where we do good to get good. Without Christ and before Christ, right, the human race, you and I, we would naturally try to find all sorts of ways to get back to God. We were, Paul describes it, enslaved to these methods, these principles, these forces that, that tell us, you know what, if you do this, if you say this prayer, if you observe this festival, if you observe this day, if you go to the temple and do this thing, you are going to be, you're going to reach God. You're going to be acceptable to God, right? All these elementary forces, all these other ways that promise heaven but actually deliver hell, right, all are the same thing. Right? And there's been many forms throughout history. In the first century, it was probably philosophy and paganism. And in our day, we have other forms, right? New Age, Buddhism, other religions, right? Um, and even the superstitious kind of Christianity is a form of that. It, it, they promise that if you do these things, if you do good, you're going to get good. But that's not Christian, what Christianity is all about. At its core, our faith is simply about the fact that you know God and God knows you. And God knows you. And the second part is particularly interesting, isn't it? Why is it that God knows me? Um, this word know is the Greek word, word gnosko. Gnosko. This word refers to an experiential, a relational kind of knowledge. Um, as opposed to an intellectual kind of knowledge. If I can explain the difference this way. Um, an intellectual kind of knowledge is like, say you were going to try to learn about someone, to get to know someone. It's as if you had a fact sheet about them, where you learned their date of birth, their blood type, you know, their favorite food and all that stuff, just with a fact sheet, right? You're getting to know about them, but you haven't really gotten to know them personally, right? Or using a modern day equivalent, it's like if you Facebook stalk them, or if you Instagram stalk them, right? You learn a lot about them, Right? You learn about that, what they like to wear, who their family, their friends are, what they like to eat, you know, where they've gone in recent days, months, years, depending on how much of a stalker you are. But you learn about them a lot, but it's all one way. Right? And that is not that you gain a lot of intellectual knowledge about them, but you haven't really experienced them. Right? There's no, there's no mutuality with it. They, you know them, but they don't know you, and that's what makes it creepy. Right? But a relational kind of knowledge, an experiential kind of knowledge, a gnosko kind of knowledge is where it's two-way, where you actually experience them. It's like having a cup of coffee with someone. You get to know them. They get to know you. It's reciprocal. It's mutual. Where you, and it's not devoid of intellectual knowledge, right? You are getting to know that person, but it's through your experience that you get to know that person. As you talk, as you share life, you learn about their family, you learn about their idiosyncrasies, you learn about what they like to eat, what they like to wear, what, all that kind of stuff. You learn about their life, you learn about them through the relationship. And that's the difference. That's the difference, right? And so what it's saying here is that, you know what? You are, Galatian Church, you are trading the fact that you have this mutual knowledge of God. That you know God, and God knows you. That's the basis of your faith, and you're throwing that away. Now, some of you may be asking, well, hang on a second, something doesn't make sense here. I thought God knows everybody. 
Other God knows everything, right? He's omniscient. That's the technical term for it. He knows everything. You're absolutely right. Yes, he knows every single thing. But that's not the kind of knowledge that's been talked about here. God knows everything, right? But what changes, what's the difference when we become a Christian is that there's a relationship now. That knowledge is deepened into intimacy. It's deepened into a relationship that God actually experiences you as well. And this is the defining feature of Christianity, right? Of Christians, believers. If you're a believer, this is the defining feature of our faith that we have not only experienced God, but God has personally experienced us. There's a personal relationship between God and us. Not just rationally, not just factually, but personally and relationally. Imagine for a moment that I said I knew, for example, Elon Musk, right? I knew Elon Musk, uh, founder of SpaceX and Tesla, right? Now, many of you wouldn't bat an eyelid if I said that, right? For example, okay, case in point, who here knows Elon Musk? You know Elon Musk, you've heard about him, you know him, okay, quite a few nervous hands, okay, I don't know why you're really afraid of knowing Elon Musk, but yeah, we all, a lot of us know who Elon Musk is, right? So it's not very impressive if I say, I know Elon Musk. Who doesn't know Elon Musk, right? Don't Google Elon Musk yet, wait until after service. <laughs> so now what's really impressive though is, is if I say, Elon Musk knows me. Right? How on earth does billionaire extraordinaire Elon Musk know Amos Noy from Perth, Western Australia, local church pastor of Faith Community Church, right? And the answer, he doesn't, right? Because I'm nobody. But if I did, and I was serious about it, I really know Elon Musk, guys, you, your, your perception of me would change, wouldn't it? You would think, there is something more to this guy than meets the eye. You must be doing something on the side. You must be some whiz programmer or something. You must be richer than, you think, than I think you are. You know, there's something about you that doesn't quite add up. For, you, for, for Elon Musk to know you, there must be something different about you. There must be something special how about you? I mean, to get the attention of someone who works 100-hour days, you know, 100-hour weeks, only sit, sleeps six hours a day, is worth 300-plus billion dollars, you know, I must be something special. How do I know that? I told you, I know Elon Musk. So, you know, when, but, but get this, get this. We'd be impressed if Elon Musk knows me. God knows me. God knows you. God of the universe, God who created, who was before time, He, He knows you. Jesus Christ, yes, that Jesus Christ who, when He entered Jerusalem, people took off their cloaks and laid it on the ground so that His donkey would not have to touch the dirt. Yes, that Jesus Christ, He knows you. He knows you. Now, for some of us, that's mind-blowing. It's like, amazing, God knows me. Wow, you just wanna get down on your knees and worship. For others of us, it makes no difference. God knows me, of course he does. Of course he does, there's nothing special about that. Why doesn't that fact, 
What is it that truth, that God of the universe, Jesus Christ, Savior of the world, King of kings and Lord of lords, knows me? Why doesn't that bring us to our knees more quickly? Why doesn't that fill us with fear and joy? Why doesn't that? I can think of two reasons. I can think of two reasons. One, either we think too highly of ourselves. Either we think too highly of ourselves. God knows you, of course he does. Why wouldn't he? You're awesome. You're awesome. Don't you know you tithe regularly? You're so generous. You know every book of the Bible. You know what? You can even quote some scripture memory verses. You're deserving of God knowing you. You know, one of the big reasons I think that we aren't blown away by that truth that God knows us is because we have a comically elevated view of ourselves. And of course, when I say it that way, it sounds ridiculous. But when we hear the whispers of our heart, oh, that it makes it sound so plausible and reasonable. It makes it, it, makes it sound deserving almost. Right? Look how generous you are. You gave $50 to that beggar on the street. And you had a 20. You had a 20. But you went for the 50. Very generous. Right? Not many people in your church would do that. Right? God loves generous people. Wow, you... You are blessed. You are amazing. Look how late you stayed to minister to, your, to this person. Man, you have worked the next day as well. Yet you stayed up, counseled them, listened to their problem over and over and over again. You are so kind. You are so loving. They are so blessed to have you in their life. Look at how well you pray. You even weave some scripture memory verses in there. You sound so eloquent. People are so edified after your prayer. You're awesome. You're a good Christian. Look at how amazing you worship. You've lifted up both hands today. <laughs> wow. God is pleased with you. Feel comfortable in the loving embrace of the Father today because of the great things you have done. You know, one of the things that I think we struggle with, at least maybe not you, but maybe me, struggle with the most is that we have a comically high view of what we do and who I am. And that is why when I hear and I read that God knows me, I am not blown away. I am not sunk to my knees in worship. My heart is not welling up with gratitude in praise. Because, of course, God knows me. Or perhaps, or perhaps we have a too low a view of God. Either we have a comically high view of ourselves, or we, have, we think of God too lowly. We don't realize how awesome God is. I mean, the King of kings, the angelic, the Lord, commander of angelic, armies. The, the, when Jesus Christ was transfigured on earth, meaning when he actually showed his glory to the disciples, they, were, they became idiots. They were so blown away by what they were seeing, what they were experiencing, they just went, they went dumb. Right? Why do we realize who this God is? And we're honest. Some of us would prefer an autograph from a celebrity or a follow or a DM from a social media influencer more than the fact that God knows you. How highly do we really esteem God? Why are we so placid and apathetic to the majesty and love of God? And I think it is, 
because either we do not know the depths of who God is, or we have not actually experienced it ourselves. Either we do not know, or we do not, have not experienced it. And both are part and essential to deepening our intimacy with God. It's all part of knowing God and God knowing us. You need both. You need to know how glorious He is and to respond and receive, experience His glory. And may I humbly submit to you this proposal. This is, I think, what a lot of us need to do. We need to let our study and meditation of God's Word lead us to a greater and deeper worship of Him. If we can study God's Word, if we can look at His glory and grace and not be led to a deeper worship and adoration of His name, then something is wrong. You know, you can learn a lot about a person from studying their corpse. You can know them very well, very intimately. You can learn all about their dietary habits, who they are, what they like to eat, what they like to wear, and all that stuff. You can learn a lot from a corpse. But the problem is they're dead. Well, at least you hope they are. And what I believe is, how I see it, is if you, if we, simply study God's word, but walk away without receiving anything, without being led to our knees in worship, well then, we might be treating God no better than a corpse on a table. He's something to be studied and analyzed, not something to be interacted with, not someone to know, not someone to be experienced. Can you imagine how lamentable it would be if you were with someone, if your partner was the kindest person in the world, and you, and, but you never experienced a drop of their kindness? Imagine how tragic that would be. You see them kind to everyone, so generous to all your friends, family, even strangers on the street, they're immensely kind, but they're never kind to you, right? Wouldn't that be tragic? That'd be the worst relationship ever, wouldn't it? I mean, wouldn't you, after a little while, grow a bit resentful towards that person? Like, you're a hypocrite. You're so kind to everyone out there, but you're not, you're not kind to me. Dare I say, some of us feel that way towards God. God, you're so kind. You're so generous. You're so loving. But why aren't you kind to me? Why aren't you loving to me? Why aren't you generous to me? I wonder if the problem is not because God is a hypocrite, but because we have treated him more like a corpse on the table rather than the person to be experienced and known and be known by. Let our study of God's word, our meditation of his word, lead us to a greater worship of him. That as we, ex we read of his glory, we are drawn to our knees. As we ex read of his grace, as we study his grace, we are, we are drawn to gratitude and praise of him because he is gracious to us. How lamentable it would be if you know so much about God's grace but have not experienced a drop of it. Isn't that sad? What is the point of your theology if your theology 
doesn't lead you to doxology, a praise of God, a worship of His name. May your theology and depths of your knowledge of God only be rivaled by your experience of Him. And if you're wondering, why are you being so harsh with me? It's because I, I see myself in you. I relate to you most. I, of all people, value the study of God's Word. But there is a problem if I can stare at the face of glory and not be moved by it. There is a problem. And I don't want that to be us because that is not the kind of faith that we live. That is not the faith of Christianity. But at the same time, at the same time, there may be some of you thinking, see, all we need is experience. Experience is the key. All you need is just the Holy Spirit and, and going to the presence of God and just soaking in His presence. That's all you need. Don't need the Word of God at all. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. Come on, if you know me at all, that's not what I'm saying. Because to me, if we do that and do that too often, and I think not many of us would do that, not many of us would ever say that, but if we did that, you're like a guy going to a date with headphones. You're staring at your date, your beloved, marveling at their features, admiring them. Oh, you're seeing the smile on their face as they spend time with you. They adore you. You're so loved by them. But you've not listened to a word they've said. You're hardly any better off than the other group. You need both. You need both. The Christians that I respect the most are the ones that allow the study of God's word. They see his glory, see his grace, see how loving he is, see the savior of the world, and it draws them to their knees in worship and go, God, you are so glorious. You are so loving. I am loved by you. And, that, and in his presence, in, by the power of the Holy Spirit, it moves their hearts and transforms them. And they experience him more. It draws them back to the word of God and they seek him more and more. It's a cycle. It's a cycle. And that is what we need. You want to know what it means to be known by God, to know God, that mutual affection? That's what we need. I believe that's what we need more of. Both going hand in hand. And that was Paul's concern for the, for the Galatian church. That they were trading this glorious thing for just do this, get this done. And that's not what it's about. His desire, his desire, and this is what leads to, when we get this, right, intimacy breeds Christ-likeness. His desire was to become like Christ. That you may, my dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth unto Christ is formed in you. This is Paul's desire. That's what he means when he pleads with the Galatians to become like him, right? Not become like him in personality and character, but to become like him in terms of their, his freedom in Christ. I know Christ. Christ knows me. I am freed by the gospel of grace. Become like me. As I became like you, a Gentile. I'm a Jew, but I became like a Gentile. See, this is the product of intimacy, the formation of Christ within us. And this is not new. We've heard this before in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I believe if we grasp this one truth, 
the difference it would make in the kind of lives that we live. Because for one, I mean, how could we sin if we understood this truth? Right? I mean, in, in Paul says in another letter of his, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Never. How can we use this body that's been united with Christ? That's been united with Christ, but the Spirit of Christ lives and breathes within us and use it to abuse our children, to bully our peers, to look at pornography, to cheat, lie, and swindle, to get more money. How could we do that if Christ lives within us? The answer is clear. Never. Never. How could we? Therefore, why do we still struggle? What is the problem? I believe it's because we fail to nurture these two areas of our faith, right? Either we fail to cultivate this intimate relationship with God, or we fail to cultivate this consciousness of Christ living within us. Christ is not living in every member of our being. And we need both. We need both, right? Um, failing to cultivate an intimate relationship with God um, results in us forgetting, forgetting who he is and what he's done for us. Imagine if you went to your spouse, or if you're not married, imagine going up to your spouse or someone you love very much and going, do you love me? Do you love me? And they replied, of course I love you. I told you that on our wedding day. Now, good reply? Satisfied? Terrible reply. Right? Why? Why is that a terrible reply? Because love must be continually shown. Right? It's not just, I tell you I love you. Okay, done. Store that in your memory. You know I love you for all time, all days, until death do us part. Right? No. Love must be shown. Generosity. Kindness. It must be experienced. Daily. Continually. Otherwise, you get your wife asking, do you love me? Do you love me? Why? Because are you showing that love? Love is, I think, caught more than taught. It must be experienced. And therefore, if we fail to cultivate this intimacy with God, it's almost like we're cutting ourselves off from actually experiencing the love of God. So we, it's not that we forget that He is loving. We know He's loving, but we stop receiving that love. We stop receiving that grace. We stop receiving that kindness. We know God is good. We haven't forgotten that. It's not like we've had amnesia, but in our hearts we've forgotten because we haven't experienced it for a very long time. That's what intimacy does, right? And so what intimacy does as we cultivate that, it actually bursts in us a love for God. It draws us towards God. It's a pulling factor. It pulls us towards God. On the other side, when we, when we cultivate this consciousness that Christ lives within us, Christ lives within me. He wants to do something in my life, through my life. My life is not my own. I belong to Him. I, my life submitted to Him. What does that do? It bursts within us a fear of God. A fear of God. And that pushes us away from sin. Pushes us away from the things that God hates. Right? And you need both. All of us have one or the other. Either we understand the love of God and so it pulls us towards God, but not away from sin. Pulls us towards God, but not away from sin. Or we have the fear of God. We hate sin, but what we, what, where are we going? 
We need both. We need both. We need to cultivate intimacy so that there's a love of God pulling us towards God and a fear of God that pushes us away from sin. And that is how we live this life of faith. And that's how Christ is formed within us. And why is this so important? Why is this so important? Because we've been hearing in Galatians, if you remember, if you've been following on with this series, that we are sons. We're sons. We're sons and daughters, right? But we're sons in the sense that we are like Christ. Christ lives in us. The Son of God lives within us. And who is the Son? Who is the Son? He is the King. So what does He want to do through us is to have kings ruling the world. Sons of God ruling the world in our workplaces, in our schools, in our communities, in our families. And what do we do when we don't cultivate intimacy? What do we do when we don't understand that Christ is living with us? Well, then we, we, we descend back into slaves. We stop ruling, we stop ruling, and we stop submitting to the things of this world, the elementary forces of this world, the weak and miserable principles of the world. When we should be ruling with Christ. How do we rule with Christ? How do we rule like Christ? We serve and we give up our lives. Because that's what we see Jesus doing as a king. And he wants to do that through each and every one of us. Can you imagine the world being ruled by the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Well, it starts with us right here. Christ being formed within us. He wants, who is Christ? He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the, our high priest. And he wants us to be the royal priesthood of God. This bridge between heaven and earth. That through us, people see and meet God. They don't just experience his loving rule. They see him. They see him. Through us, we intercede for them. Through us, we love them. Through us, we offer prayers to our God for them. That they might be blessed. That our communities might be healed. That our schools might be restored. That drug problems may cease. That people may be made whole. That's what we do as priests. But how does that happen? Not by understanding, not by doing it. Pray, pray for communities. No, that's not how it happens. It happens when we start going, God, I need to know you. And I need you to know me. We need to cultivate that intimacy. And as we do so, he births himself in us. He forms himself within us. He fills every single member and fiber of our being. Our bodies, our minds, our spirits, our hearts are completely submitted to him. And when that happens, Christ is formed within us. And that's when we see the kingdom of God coming on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Let me pray for us as we respond. Oh Lord, this is not something to learn. This is something to be, be, be imprinted on our hearts. This is something that, that needs to be captured. Oh Lord, I pray that may it be captured, oh Lord, in our hearts, that our minds and and wills be bent towards you, be bent for you, O oh God. And Lord, I pray, O oh God, that as we, as we continue to follow you, may we do so in this intimate relationship with you. Not following the weak and miserable principles of the world, 
but, by the, but in the safety and loving relationship of knowing you and being known by you. Oh, may that give us the greatest joy. Lord, and may it lead us to our knees. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Church, let us stand. I want us to respond with this song. I also want, and I know we've been doing this the past couple of Sundays, especially last Sunday, I remember many of you responded, you know, that you wanted this intimacy with God. And, you know, I want to call that, you know, if there are those of you who desire this intimacy relationship, intimate relationship with God, that, you know, you want God to know you and you want to know God. Maybe you want to repair that relationship today. I want to invite you down to the front so that we can pray for you and see that relationship, man. Amen.